Welcome back. Today, we're interviewing Kelly and Tiffany of Beautiful One Midwifery, a San Diego-based practice. There's a lot of confusion surrounding midwifery, so today we're demystifying what it is, what a midwife-attended birth can look like, and ways to decide if it's for you. Enjoy! All right, well, thank you ladies so much for being here with us. It's really exciting to see your faces. I've seen them. We've seen them on Instagram for so long. Maybe too it's many nice. times. Yeah. No, you guys, that's that's uh, one of the reasons why we really wanted to have you on is because um, these wonderful women from Beautiful One Midwifery have one of the most just fantastic women's health Instagrams I think I have ever seen. And I follow quite a few women's health Instagram <laughs> accounts. Um, you guys just are so relatable. Um, and you just put out such great, great material um, that's really informative and just super pro woman and, and pro women's health. Um, and so we are so excited to have you guys on. Can you can you introduce yourselves for us for our audience? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having us. It's so fun. When someone says, hey, teach us more about midwifery, because I think that's one of the hugest barriers is people are like, oh, yeah, midwives are for like, you know, that certain kind of (laughs) strange uh, birth situation. So we are so happy to be here. I'm Tiffany, and I am a licensed midwife in San Diego. That's where we have our home birth practice. And I'm Kelly, uh, also a licensed midwife, and uh, we should come on your podcast more often where you're just saying nice things about us. This has been a lovely (laughs) intro. We appreciate it, but no, we're excited. We always love sharing um, about midwifery and everything that we offer beyond, quote, just birth, too. And so I think more women, if they understood what midwives were, what we do, um, what we can offer, I think that a lot about women's health in our country and like culture would change quite a bit. I think too, with like natural womanhood, you know, obviously we talk about women's health, right? And birth is such a part, like you can't, you can't talk about women's health without talking about birth and without talking about pregnancy and postpartum, because it really is sort of all encompassing. And I, I have to say, you know, I've, I have had two home births and, um, there's definitely a stigma around it. There's definitely like this idea that it's a sort of backwards, um, old school, um, crunchy kind of thing. Um, I want to hear about how you came to midwifery. Um, like, like, was it something that you knew you wanted to do since you were a kid or like, you know, how'd you come to it? Uh, I did not want to be a midwife when I was a kid. (laughs) I didn't want to be a midwife even when I was having my own children. (laughs) Um, But it was really those births in particular that changed my idea of what, um, what womanhood was and what motherhood was. And so going through my own births, which were not home births, um, I really realized how lacking the concept of birth in our country was and what my expectation was um, of what my birth experiences were going to be and then what they actually turned into. I was like, well, that was a sham. Why do people say it's supposed to be this one way? And then later you discover that um, I did all the right things. Like I, I did all of the I did all the things on that that blog and that book and that lady 
told me to do. And I still came up feeling really discouraged about my birth <laughs> situation and experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so then I became a doula when someone said, oh, yeah, you sound like you're you know, kind of bent out of shape about your birth, you probably should have had a doula. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And then I, and then I became one. And in my doula work, I thought I was just going to make all the hospital births great. Cause now women had a book and a blog and a lady and a class and a doula. And so surely we have unlocked the magical key to having beautiful, respectful, peaceful births in the hospital. Um, and I, that was not what I was able to bring to the table. It, it turned out it wasn't <laughs> having a doula that was going to create that circumstance for other women. Um, and so when I saw my first home birth as a doula, I was like, oh, duh, this is exactly what all of my clients have ever wanted, they're just going about it the wrong way because they don't have information or encouragement in order to do it. And so I just wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be a part of the the scene and the setting and the care model that brought great experiences to women that matched the that matched their desires for birth. That's that's why I became a midwife. That gets me fired up. <laughs> I love when Tiffany shares her story and mine is pretty similar in that my own birth experiences were what sort of uh, thrust me into birth work. My first was born in a hospital and actually it was a rel in terms of hospital births that I have witnessed since, uh, you know, when I started birth work after his birth uh, was relatively, you know, straightforward, it was a fine experience. My husband was the one who felt really railroaded and like the things that we had talked about beforehand, nobody mm. was listening to. He felt like he was so happy that our baby was there, was so happy that like I got I like got a lot of the things that I desired out of the birth. But he was like, I am not okay with how that went down. He felt um wow. like he was not really a part of the experience, kind of pushed aside. And I was like, What a sweet what a sweet man that is. He recognized that there were pieces of it that were great for me, but pieces of it that really left him feeling like he wasn't a part of it. And um, that kind of broke my heart because I was like, that's just really not what we what we wanted as a family for that experience either. And friends of mine were getting pregnant soon after. And I was like, you know, just something to think about, even if not for you, but somebody there to help support your husband and you as a couple so that you feel like it's bringing you together rather than he has to stand on guard or he needs to remember all the things that you talked about or even wrote down and how to communicate that and how to feel heard. Um, and one of my friends asked me if I would be that person. And I was like, I don't know a ton, but sure, I'll go. And I went and it was definitely like a cloud open up experience where I was like, oh, this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and very similarly, as I progressed in my doula career, being invited to home births, I was like, oh, I see. Women are wanting that home birthy feeling. They want to be very simple things, right? They want to be heard, respected, listened to. Um, they want to feel safe. They want to, they want these things. Um, and the hospital is not always the place that you get that experience. And so that was yet another, uh, open cloud type of, uh, recognition or like realization. And for sure I had, uh, my second baby at home. And after that, like after the midwives left and we're laying in bed, I was like, oh yeah, this is, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to help create these kinds of moments, like give the opportunity for women to mm. uh, 
experience this too. So the rest is history. Wow. <laughs> Those are awesome, awesome stories. Um, and really kind of different from what I was anticipating <laughs> them to be. Um, the doula segue into midwifery makes a lot of sense though, for sure. Um, and so it's I just want to doula work. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. It's a, gate, it's a gateway drug. Yeah. So I just want to take a few steps back for our listeners, for those who just are completely unfamiliar with midwifery, um, the midwifery care model. What exactly is a midwife? How do you define a midwife? Um, and kind of what is the midwifery care model? How does it, how is it set apart from, you know, you guys are comparing your hospital experiences and the home birth experiences. What really sets apart the midwifery model from, you know, the hospital-based OB type model? Yeah, that's a great, that's a really good differentiation. There are so many ways that the medical model is carried out. And so likewise, there's so many ways that the midwifery model is carried out. And um, so we have to kind of keep that in mind that like each practice, each community, each country even is going to have a different way that the medical model looks and the way that the midwifery model looks. But I would say the main difference is that the midwifery model is um, the center of the midwifery model is the woman. And so the woman stands at the very top of the triangle and everything that happens flows out from under her. It's her desires and her information gathering and the support that she needs and everybody else comes around her and says, this is your experience, how can we help you? And the medical model tends to put the provider at the top of that triangle and it's their expertise, their knowledge, their um, recommendations, their comfort level, their assessment of the data, their, you know, choices and decisions for women. And everybody comes around the care provider and says, what do you think we should do? You're the one who went to medical school, so you tell us. Um, and so you can see just in those two demonstrations of who's at the center of this care model, how differently the same exact concept of care, it's, it's all still pregnant women having babies, right? But how the concept of care can get carried out drastically different. Yeah, and being somebody who's been on the receiving end of both types of care, um, recognizing that even if you have the most wonderful um, provider in that medical model, how much is still lacking in terms of empowerment and true decision making, because you really do offer up so much of your um, own sense of responsibility and decision making to this other person. And a lot of our clients who have come in with similar experiences, having had uh, the medical model of care bef like before in previous pregnancies, are somewhat jarred, but also so empowered. It's like one of the sweetest mm -hmm. things to witness them step into that of like, actually, I'm, I hear what you're saying and I understand my options, but I'm going to go ahead and decline that. And honestly, we're like, oh, I'm so proud of like, not necessarily that you declined a thing, but like you assessed mm -hmm. it, you heard all of the information and you made your decision um, or you heard about what the different options yeah. were and you decided uh, what was right for you, what you wanted to accept. And you saw, we talk a lot about, um, the options that we offer kind of being just like on a platter 
right? Like a really fancy charcuterie board that you're like, I want some salami and some of this, but I don't want that stuff because that looks weird and gross and I've never eaten that before, right? And so um, being able to take the things that sound right for you and nourishing for you, um, but to be able to leave some of the other things that don't make sense for you clinically or emotionally or align with your own family values uh, is a beautiful thing. It's a lot of responsibility, but it's a really empowering, beautiful thing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, just my own experience with midwifery is sort of treating pregnancy as a normal event, like a normal event in a woman's life. Um, Whereas I saw, I saw an OB like very briefly in my first pregnancy and I was like, nope, not for me. Um, Where it felt very factory farm. It felt very like, if you're not super high risk, then we're not going to give you the time of day because everything's fine. Or the other, like the other side of that coin was, well, we're going to treat you like everything through the lens of risk, through the lens of like, you know, um, and, and I'm saying, look, we should, we should think about risk. Risk is obviously like birth is risky no matter where you do it. Um, but at what cost are we managing these risks? Um, and for both of my pregnancies, I went really late. So my first was 10 days late. My second was 14 days late. And I think had I been in an OB practice, I would have been induced, you know, like hands down. Um, but because I was able to do non-stress tests every, every other day or whatever it was, and like they were able to do ultrasounds and keep in check with that, I was able to make the decision of, no, for me, that risk benefit of waiting and not inducing was a choice that I was able to make, you know? Yeah, like, do we expect that a low-risk pregnancy, which is over 90% of pregnant women, do we expect that it is designed and set up and with good care can be a normal family life event? Or Mm -hmm. do we believe that it's a ticking time bomb just waiting for something to go wrong and our job is to just constantly try to mitigate that risk that... We don't have a whole lot of evidence that that is going to be the case for you, but wouldn't it be better if we just had more control over this situation just in case something goes wrong? And then when something goes wrong, I'm going to be like, yep, see, I mean, this is what happens. Something always goes wrong. So it's a philosophical difference. The care models are philosophically different. Sometimes um, we get into conversations with people who are really pro-medical model, and that's absolutely fine. Not everybody should um, find themselves as a candidate for midwifery care. I wish that that was the case. I think that that would impact our society in really beautiful, good ways. But I don't think everyone should have a home birth. I don't think everybody is in the position to um, take the kind of responsibility that is that is needed inside of the midwifery model. Um, but I do, I do believe that we should be able to look at information and say, well, like when we have the um, care model that goes like this, this is the risks that you are essentially signing up for in the medical model. Like 33% of women are going to have a surgical birth. That is just absolutely facts. That's what's going to happen. Right. Um, and then we have risks that are at home, right? Like there, there absolutely are emergencies that can occur at home and you're potentially outside of some really important, um, quick 
emergency responses for that when you're not inside of a hospital. And so, like you said, Grace, like there's, there's, um, or actually, sorry, Cassie, it was you. There's, there's going to be risk in every single, um, birth situation, but are we going to go to the umpteenth degree of what could potentially happen and cover that? Or are we going to trust and believe that actually this is something that usually unfolds best on its own and each woman is going to find themselves in a different mm-hmm. a different place in a different zone but what's happening currently in our culture for sure is that um the majority of people believe that it's not a natural process that unfolds best on its own because of the way that we have become dependent on the medical model in all things every bit of our health is inside of that model for multiple reasons, but it's actually women themselves and being reinforced by medical model care providers that it is it is necessary to be inside of the medical model. That is the safest place. Why wouldn't you utilize modern medicine for this really risky event? So I think that there's just a lot of education that needs to happen for women to kind of understand how those two philosophies interplay and how to advocate for themselves and gather more information inside of those spaces and questions while you're trying to figure out, well, where, what do, where do I fit in? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm laughing to myself because I'm about to use a triangle reference again. <laughs> We're talking about triangles a lot today. But if you imagine <laughs> all of pregnant women, right, fitting into this triangle, the majority, the largest part of that triangle at the bottom is healthy, low-risk women, right? And so that's the majority of women who are getting pregnant, generally speaking, healthy, low-risk women with low-risk pregnancies. But what we've done is take the majority of this triangle and place them all at the top of this like medical model. Let's just start you here with the most intervention, the most um, like of all the things, right? Rather than keeping you at the bottom and saying, how can we encourage this healthy, low-risk pregnancy to continue to be as such? How can we be proactive in your care? And guess what? If something pops up, there are other people in the middle of this of this uh, triangle here, right? Do you need to see an endocrinologist? Do you need this extra ultrasound? Do you need to see maternal fetal medicine, right, for this particular thing that we have seen is popping up? And we can bring that top of the um, triangle in, right? But we don't need to necessarily start at the top. You can always work your way up the triangle if needed, but we don't necessarily have to put all women at the top and start there because you can't... Re- work your way down from that, right? If you're in that, it's not like when you show up to the hospital and you're like, actually, I don't really like this. I'm going to go back down to uh, having my baby at home. Um, Of course, you're a free person, can do what you want, but it's not like you have a midwife waiting there for you. I'm excited to see sort of as midwifery, I mean, I think midwifery is on a surge. I think think it's becoming more mainstream. I think more people are familiar with it. Um, I'm hoping to see more collaboration because I think midwifery has been pitted against OBs. Um, one of the coolest things with the practice I was with with my last pregnancy was that they had a collaborating physician that I had to meet with. I don't know if that was like a legal thing, but like I had to meet with him once. He had to look over my charts and be like, okay, here's this, here's that. And if I did end up needing a surgical birth, that would be who I would see. Um, and I think it makes such sense to have that collaboration of care because birth doesn't always, I mean, it normally goes well, but it doesn't always go, it doesn't always go like seamlessly. Um, 
I wanted to ask a question about how, like, how often do births turn into, like, emergencies? Like, in your practice, what have you seen? And I mean, like, emergency, not like, you know, oh, slow to progress. We're going to just go to the hospital, get an epidural because, like, yes. You, yeah, you need and, it, but like, and an honestly, that's situation. sort of the that's the number one reason for transfer is just a long, like, days long of putting in the work and us doing all of the things, and mom and dad doing all of the things, and um, just not quite progressing, right? And the idea of being like, oh, thank goodness, there's something that you can do in order to go get some rest and hopefully take a nap and push your baby out, right? Um, so that's the number one reason for transfer, not just in our practice, but just across the board. Um, and I don't think we have actual statistics of our practice, um, but in terms of uh, complications, things like um, postpartum hemorrhage, shoulder dystocia, neonatal resuscitation can pop up. Um, probably the most common of the things that can go a little bit sideways, all things that we are highly trained in and can sort through uh, at home. And so all of those experiences have been things that we have been able to bring back into normal with either our hands or our equipment or our medication um, to be able to continue to recover um, at home. With that being said, those things can continue to be used if we needed to um, transfer to higher level of care to continue to mitigate the bleeding where we needed to, breathe for the baby when we need to, those kinds of things. I think that's super important to point out that um, you guys don't just show up to a birth with like crystals and stuff, right? <laughs> you you actually have medical implements. You are trained, licensed medical professionals, right? You ha- there's there's I imagine a very rigorous training process and and hours that you have to put in. You know, similar to a medical student who goes into uh, an OBGYN residency. I'm sure you guys have those kinds of programs, right? Um, where you're assisting on births and that sort of thing for a while. Um, but, so can you talk a little bit more about that? The, the, the fact that you guys, you're, you're trained medical professionals. You're not just women off the street who just really love birth and want to hold someone's hand while they, while they give birth, right? You do have medical kits where you can address hemorrhaging and, and all the, all the things that you just, you just mentioned. So talk a little bit more about that for us, please. Yeah, that's a that's kind of a fun like myth to dispel because I think people do assume that we're just like you know showing up with drums and incense, some hope, yeah. <laughs> say nice things to you. That really is most of what we do. That's true, <laughs> minus the incense. I haven't brought a drum to yeah, a drum. yet, but I would I would use one if it was at someone's house already. <laughs> if they asked me to, I'm not not, not too proud to start doing some drums, um, but. We um, we do. We have a significant amount of training, not as much as a medical doctor, so I don't want to compare the two, but the really cool thing about what we do is that we don't have to be the experts on all the complications. We don't have to be the experts on all the wacky, crazy things that could happen. Of course, like you pick up one textbook about labor, birth, and delivery that's not written by a midwife in it. Of course, that's what doctors think. The bad things are just going to happen. There truly is so many things. So sometimes we have potential clients that come in and they're like, okay, so can you just give me um, like a list of 
things that could go wrong and if and like what would happen in those situations and I'm like I don't want to like freak you out it's extremely rare like one percent of women there's hundreds of terrible things that could happen to you but we don't have to be the experts in all of that because we're dealing with a population of women who's low risk who are being well screened um who are being so very closely monitored in pregnancy and a huge part of what we offer is preventative care so we're always looking for ways to prevent some of these you know, issues from coming up, keeping women low risk. So we're not the experts in complications and medical issues. We're the experts in normal birth. There is not one other type of maternal care provider on this planet, I can say with absolute certainty, that understands normal birth the way that midwives do. And so if that is the type of birth that you would like to have where we trust and work with your body and we believe that it is going to do a thing really well, especially on its own, there's no other care provider who will understand that and specialize in what that is, what our bodies are actually designed to do um, physiologically. So... Saying that, most of what we do is just support what women are already doing. But like you mentioned, Grace, we do. We come with a ton of equipment because we understand that there are things that can go sideways and we want to be really um, responsible. Kelly mentioned that the top three complications that we speak with all of our clients about um, and potential clients, but we go over it again at the home visit, like around 36, 37 weeks, we meet in women's homes where it's like a... It's like a birth uh, trial run, like a little dress rehearsal. This is what you're going to do. This is what we're going to do. This is your, the things that you have uh, you know, gathered, and these are the things that we're going to bring. And so we just remind everybody of what's the plan if things go like this? What's the plan if things go like that? And so we go over hemorrhage. We go over shoulder dystocia, we go over neonatal resuscitation, and we talk about all the equipment that we bring for that. So every state is a little bit different with their licensure and what they end up um, allowing midwives to carry. But we have four anti-hemorrhagic medications. Um, we bring IV fluids, we bring oxygen tanks, we bring resuscitation equipment for mom and baby, we bring... Um, all kinds of things like that, that we hardly ever get out, but we're there to use that. And we drill on that quite frequently. So it's a really quick, fast thing. And that's a part of why we go over it with our clients so that we can, so they know what to expect. If we have to jump in and do something, that would be not what we would expect, but what we're there for. We're not really there for the births that are just like, kumbayaing and the mom's like totally doing it and it's most of the verse we're like great you did it and they're like oh thanks so much for being here and we're like well, i mean like we helped you clean up a little bit <laughs> we said nice things we're there for the verse that we actually have to jump in and do mm -hmm. something because that is um i believe that's truly why why people have midwives at their home births is so that like if things if you need help with something then you have people there who need it mm -hmm. so all of our training and education of course it touches on those pieces we need to know how to respond to emergencies but it is all reinforced by what is normal and understanding normal and understanding undisturbed physiological birth and so that's what we end up having the greatest body mm -hmm. of knowledge on and when you understand normal so well, when something is not quite right, that pings so quickly because you're like, 
well, that heart tone doesn't sound right. That, you know, all of these little pieces where we can be like, oh, actually, this does that actually does not fall under the normal category very quickly um, rather than, uh, mm. you know, because we've been trained so well and understand normal so well. And that's a gift of how we were trained too. Um, we're kind of came into direct and more direct entry midwifery rather than a nursing program. And so all of our training, all of our education is specifically for home birth. And that is an even added layer of, um, uh, support and of awareness and knowledge because you can understand normal birth, but when it takes place in a hospital, it's, it's just not the same. Uh, it's just not the same. And so, uh, that's a real gift for the way that we were trained and how comfortable and confident we feel in providing care where we do because of the amount of time and hours and clinical, you know, check boxes and all of the things. Do you think that there's hope for, because I'm thinking, you know, not everyone can have a home birth for various reasons. Um, is there hope that the midwifery model could be more incorporated into hospital birth or even like a planned C-section? Like, do you see that happening? We do. Unfortunately, in our area, I don't really see it happening as much as I would like it to. There are a couple hospitals that have, you know, birth centers that are connected in the hospital with midwifery care um, available. No matter mm. what, again, with the philosophy being so different, it will always, um, there will always be a bit of discrepancy there. But other countries are utilizing midwives in very different ways than we are and having much better outcomes than we are. And so we have to start looking around and being like, well, these countries that have really well integrated midwifery care are killing us in terms of like how great they're doing with their outcomes versus yeah. ours. And we spend so much more money. And what are we, what are we offering or what are we yeah. seeing because of that? What's the fruit from all of that money? And it's, it's not, it's terrible outcomes in a lot of ways. And so I don't want to sound like I'm anti-hospital birth because that is a, that is a helpful place to have a baby when you need to have a baby there. Um, but I think that we can do ourselves a lot of good by looking horizontally at what other people are doing and recognizing that midwifery is underutilized here and pitting us against other types of care providers is not the answer for better outcomes for moms and babies and families. If we go back to that triangle that you were talking about earlier, because we're just about triangles today. Um, if we go back to what you were saying about putting, you know, the vast majority, the 90% of women down at the bottom, flipping the triangle like we kind of have done in the United States, and everybody gets all the intervention, you know, up front. Where are some countries where they're actually you know, use the midwifery care model and the triangle is not inverted. It's it's the way it's supposed to be. And that, like you said, you start down at the bottom with the least amount of intervention for, you know, the, the majority of people who will have normal births. And then you move up that ladder rather than trying to step down the ladder that we were talking about earlier. Um, and you mentioned, you know, that there are countries that do that and that their outcomes are better. Can you talk about which countries those are and specifically, you know, how their outcomes are better? Because somebody might listen to that and think like, well, what does that mean? Do fewer women die? Do fewer babies die? So just define that for us a little bit more, please. Yeah, sure. There, there is, the most recent statistics 
put the U.S. under over 40 other countries in the world. There are 40 other countries in the world that actually have better outcomes than the U.S., even though we spend the most money on women in this stage of life. So uh, that's that should upset people. That should be like, wait, wait a minute. Why aren't we? What, what's the problem mm-hmm. here? One of my favorite resources for looking at those numbers is uh, Birth by the Numbers. This guy's got like some really great statistics and some YouTube videos and stuff where he explains how we have gone so wayward in that. It's a like multifactorial thing, but it's a fascinating fascinating thing to spend more time on. Some of the countries that come to mind immediately for me are Australia, the UK, Canada. Mm-hmm. They all have the majority of their women inside midwifery care. And the way that we look at outcomes, there's a there's so many factors, but what it actually comes down to are birth injuries for mother and baby and then death for mother and baby. And there's lots of ways to, you know, look at how certain degrees of injury and such and what causes that and everything. But when it comes down to it, that's the outcomes that we're talking about. There's over 40 countries who have um, more alive and less injured babies and women at the end of their birthing experiences. Which is really uh, mind-blowing wow. and sobering and terrible and really heartbreaking. And one of the reasons that uh, the world needs more midwives and one of the reasons that we uh, so support midwifery. Um, and not to say all these countries are doing it uh, the perfect way, right? I feel like the U.S. can't really point any fingers. But also, you know, things change when things are... Uh, you know, insurance looks different and government standards look different and things like that. But it is doing uh, women and families huge service. And so uh, the fact that we get as midwives get looked at oftentimes as like second tier um, in terms of the care we provide is it's become laughable to me because it really what we provide is really actually the gold standard of prenatal birth and postpartum care. Uh, but not everybody recognizes <laughs> that. And not to like toot our own horns, but it just, it goes to show across the world that that is true. I think we, we did an episode earlier this season on postpartum and just how postpartum in America is, you know, um, lacking. And I think postpartum, it's such an extension of what we see. It starts in birth, you know, um, as I'm, I'm a lactation consultant. And when I see women, I mean, so many women's journeys get derailed from a traumatic birth. Um, And granted, that's not always their fault. Well, it's rarely their fault. But but you look back and wonder, well, what could have been mitigated here? What could have been, you know, what was unnecessary? Um, And I know specifically, I think I've talked about this before in the podcast, but I'm in the New York area. And, like, New York City is insane. Talk about factory farm. I mean, they are in and out. Like, they, it's it's multiple women per room. It's, like, get them in, get them out. We don't have time to, like, for you to labor for 24 hours. Like, we don't have time for that. Um, and it affects breastfeeding rates. And it affects postpartum depression. And it affects baby maternal baby bonding. It affects so much down the road that... Um, 
I have to oftentimes like work with women to like learn how to bond with their baby um, because they're so shook from their, their hospital experience. And again, New York City is its own. Like when I moved to New Jersey, I was like, oh, hospital birth in New Jersey is like a whole other, like they have tubs, they have like a private, like you don't have to pay for a private room. I couldn't believe it. So yeah, it's just all connected, you know, birth, postpartum, parenting, all of it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's important like to point out too that there's a lot of there's a lot of regional differences with a lot of this stuff, right? Like I'm going to I need to out myself here because I've actually never <laughs> had a home birth. I have never <laughs> had one. I've only ever given birth in hospitals. Um and you ladies are in the San Diego area. Um so you're probably familiar with the birth center in UCSD La Jolla. Um, and that's actually where I had my most recent birth. Um, and I had a really wonderful experience just fully staffed by midwives. Um, and it was very much like a very peaceful, it was my favorite experience. And it was the kind of the homiest ver- uh, experience I'd ever had before. Um, cause I've just been on the labor and delivery ward for the last, for the prior to, um, and so I've never had a really I haven't had a bad birth experience in a hospital. They've all been a little bit different. There's things that I haven't liked about it. There's things I've ha- I have liked. Um, so I don't want to make it sound like we're, we're doing this episode all like coming down really hard on, on hospital births. But I, I have to say that um, it was a very different experience being in the birth center staffed by midwives and even though they were in a hospital setting and more that like medical setting, um, there was a very different mentality there just having the midwives in the hospital that my body was going to do what it was meant to do. And that was why they allowed me to be in the birth center. They, they screen it pretty heavily, um, the population that they allow to deliver there. Um, and so I do think that for people who are listening to this who are like I just really can't see myself having a a a home birth you know it's just it's just totally out of the realm of anything they would ever consider um that there are other options out there now especially depending on where you are regionally Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be like full-on full medical with an OB all the interventions or home birth with a midwife. There is kind of a range here and everybody can have a very different experience um, depending on your personality, depending on your comfort level with the medical care system. My husband's a doctor, so I always felt um, he he was always able to advocate for me in the hospital system. I was never worried that I wouldn't have someone who could navigate it for me if they needed to. So everybody has to really take into account their own backgrounds, their own comfort level, um, and the fact that, yeah, regionally, I, I mean, I never had to share a room with someone. If I, if I was looking at having to share a room while giving birth, I would maybe have had a home birth by now if that was my reality. So definitely it's important, right, to look at all of your options very specific to where you are when you are pregnant. I think think that's why I had a home birth, honestly, for my first was because I was in New York City. And it was like, well, the the hospital's down the street. Like I can, if I need to, I mean, I probably wouldn't walk in labor, but maybe on a stretch. I don't know. But like, ride your bike. (laughs) It it just, it felt like 
Right. <laughs> Pogo stick. Um, oh my god. And so when I moved to New Jersey, I really, I mean, so for my my third birth, I was just talking about this with Grace, like I'm considering a birth center or maybe a hospital birth with midwives just because it's so different here. Um, and I love that my practice, they deliver in all three settings. So they deliver in a hospital and a birth center and um, home birth or hospital. Yeah. And um, my hope is that we'll see more of this. Like we'll see more integration of midwives in care in all of its forms um, because I don't want people to get scared away that like, oh, well, home birth is like not my thing. So therefore I have to go to this other extreme thing. So thanks yeah, for absolutely. And, and we certainly don't want to come off like uh, we know the best answer for everybody, right? Everybody has to assess their own desires, their own comfort, their own, you know, comfort, their own um, appropriation of where they see the risk and what their risk benefit um, kind of scale where that tips with all of the accurate information. And so I think it's pretty common to look around and women are like, well, I can't have a home birth because like, what if something goes wrong, right? So like my only other option is a hospital. Um, But when we look, when women look into it, I think with open eyes and say, oh, actually the statistics for our home birth are actually pretty great. I don't want, I don't want to do that. But like, I'm, with open eyes, I'm making the decision to not choose that um, from a very, empowered and educated place. But I totally agree. I mean, the more integration, the more options for women, the better. Um, and, you know, as, as you were saying, it seems like midwifery is kind of booming right now. And I, a lot of that, at least from our assessment, from, you know, being in practice for a couple years before all the COVID stuff happened, was people were realizing uh, when things were starting to shut down and, you know, their support people weren't allowed in, they were like, oh, actually, what I want is to not be in a hospital because I don't want to get sick if I go somewhere, right? Or I want my people around me. And if I can't have that, that's not going to make me feel safe. And I think it kind of helped open some people's eyes to the real option that was there. And of course, there's some women who were just simply afraid of all of the things just because it was such a crazy time. But um, I think it really pushed midwifery in a new direction of people seeing it as a actual viable option who may not have looked at it before, which was an interesting little, you know, side effect of what was going on. Yeah, I can't imagine like that window of time. I cannot, I I have a friend who gave birth, um, again, in New York, she walked herself into the hospital, checked herself in and left with a baby, however many hours later. I cannot imagine doing that alone, you know, like without your partner, without like, that to me was talk about isolation and, and it was cruel and unusual is what it was. I mean, I, I, I want to call a spade a spade because I think if you I, I just think there's no <laughs> there's just no justification for making a woman labor and deliver on her own. I just think it was it was insane that they were doing that to women. And it really that was why I initially started looking at doing a home birth for the first time the third time around. And I was originally going to do it. Um, But then they found a thing on my ultrasound and then kind of that like risk, you know, just kind of like looking for something almost stuff started to come into play. But I I was very happy with the the in-hospital birth center. But 
had I not been able to have my husband with me in that, like there was just no question I was going to do a, a home birth. However, I could have my support person with me, who's my husband. Um, because, yeah, I think that was when women really kind of took a step back and they were like, well, look, like women have been giving birth forever, <laughs> literally, right? And right. <laughs> what do I actually need to give birth? And a lot of women were like, I need my husband. I need my partner with me more than anything. And if I can't have that in the hospital because they're making women labor and deliver alone and masked nonetheless too, right? It's like we're going we're gonna to take a look at our other options. And I think that that's, you know, that's at the end of the day why – at natural womanhood, why we're doing a podcast on midwifery care, because we're about giving women options. We are about women having all of the information that they need to make empowered decisions about their health and getting pregnant and, and delivering is a, is a big major life event that happens for most women. And it's another area where women have just been really left in the dark um, when it comes to all of their options and, and true knowledge and empowerment of what their body is capable of. So I just super appreciate what you guys do on Instagram because I think it's almost like an evangelization of sorts about <laughs> kind of the power of womanhood, right? Um, so... Everybody who hasn't seen Beautiful One Midwifery's uh, Instagram after this episode, you better go follow them because it's just it's wonderful and share it as as widely as you can. I appreciate that encouragement. Sometimes social media is not always the easiest place to show up in. And it's that's the reason that we wanted to get more in that niche because um, because women need it. And how many times have we like shared a silly reel of us singing something, but then talking about how many visits moms get in their home postpartum, right? And like how midwives shift that yeah. or what our appointments look like or just simple things that women don't know about. And it's been so cool to see how um, we can educate in a way that's also uh, pseudo entertaining, <laughs> hopefully entertaining. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's sort of interesting to look at like over the course of the last few decades. One of my favorite things when I was a doula, um, I loved asking like the older people in the home. So the um, grandparents or whoever, you know, about their birth experience. Um, and it's really like telling. I think we have come a long way. Um, I think we still have ways to go. But um you know, my mom, for example, had two C-sections and they were planned. And she said, oh, well, the doctor just told me that I needed them. She's like, didn't tell me why, didn't. And she's like, I didn't think to ask. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. He just said, oh, well, you're not going to be able to deliver because your uterus is shaped wrong. Um, and like had two C-sections because of it, you know, like that's just so wild to me. Um, and... I mean, the history of, of, like, maternity care and, like, we, we did a history a, a episode as well on the history of birth control. Um, I feel hope when I think about how far we have come. And those resources, even though the internet does feel, you know, daunting at times and overwhelming and it can definitely be a source of 
ill, ill will, but um, there's just so much more out there now that we can access. And I think it's super cool that moms are starting to question like, well, what do I want in birth? Well, do I have to have this test? Do I need, um, you know, um, I even like, this is another issue, but the gestational diabetes test, right? Like, I'm so grateful that they have alternatives for that now. At least in my last pregnancy, I was given the breakfast option. And I was like, I want that. Like, whatever that is, I want. (laughs) Um, Because I think it's insane that we, like, tell women to, like, not, like, all the things you're not supposed to do in pregnancy. Like, don't, like, fast for however long. And then drink this, like, super sugary drink. And then we're going to draw blood out of you. Um, Like, that's just so not, like whatever um that's just a small (laughs) example of something that is not woman friendly not patient friendly but it's part of routine care um so cassie you're actually hitting on something really important that i feel like could provide some context to the um the the way that women can look at their care and be empowered in no matter what setting they choose or what settings available to them or what care providers are available to to them. And that is the concept of informed consent. And so no matter if you're being cared for by a doctor or a midwife or, you know, the, the drum circle coordinator, (laughs) then you get to, you get to know what the benefits what the risks and what the alternatives are to any proposed treatment or test or recommendation from any care provider. And that's something that women should be advocating for in every single setting. So you can take some of the concepts of midwifery care and put them into any setting. And any setting that there are midwives or there are other care providers, this is documented, there are settings where there are care providers who are influenced by midwifery care, even if you're being cared for by an OB, if the culture Mm -hmm. in that care place has been influenced by midwifery care, you have better outcomes. So every single place that midwives go, um, and take care of women or influence the care of women outcomes improve. So like Grace, you being at the, every um, meal you make that that's a stretch (laughs) being in our storage room right now, this storage room is impacted by midwifery care. Uh, but the concept of and women saying, like, maybe I will choose your recommendation, but I actually can locate some of my own research about that and talk to some other women. And I'll consider, like, what you what you think is best for me in the pie piece, give you a little pie piece of how I'm going to make decisions. That's something that would impact maternity and birth care for everybody everywhere operating from that place of informed consent. Absolutely. And it comes from, it's consumer driven. So I think a lot of women are like, oh, that sounds really nice. Like you get, you get your breakfast choice, you get, you know, whatever, you get these options. But um, because of the way that the medical model is structured, it does put the care provider towards the top with the power. But actually, we, we still are the women who are going in and hiring those people. They actually work for us. We are paying them to perform a service. Um, and so being able to say no to something or an al- desire an alternative to something, um, change in that in our maternity care is going to be consumer 
driven, when women are just continually peppering their uh, care providers with these requests and desires and demands in some spaces, um, I think we'll continue to see some things shift. Yeah, I, I think for sure, like, I don't know, I've never quite, and I, maybe I've just been very, very lucky to have amazing care providers. Um, I'll be in Facebook groups and stuff and people will say, oh, well, my OB dismissed me or whatever, my care provider dismissed me or won't give me this medication that I need or, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, then why are you still with them? Like, if they've, like, if someone treated me that way, like, you know, but again, maybe I've just been really lucky that I have had, um, very good care providers. Well, and it's got, I think back to the anecdote of your mom, Cassie, right? Like a lot of women don't know that they can demand better. They don't know that right. better exists. And so because of that, because of the, the triangle, the idea that kind of the medical practitioner and they do know, right? Like they know some stuff that I don't know, like, you know, but um, I think when you go from that, the idea of a normal physiologic pregnancy and birth, it's like start there. So thank you ladies so much for being here with us today. This has been a super informative uh, conversation. I really enjoyed getting to speak with you um, and hear all of your knowledge and hear about kind of all the wonderful things that are happening in the world of uh, birth through um, this resurgence in midwifery. So I, before we say goodbye, we usually like to ask our, ask our guests, what is something that's happening in the women's health space that's kind of giving you hope for the future. So if we could just end on that positive note, if you could give us what you're seeing that's really giving you hope. Oh, I love that question. There's quite a few things. I, maybe it is because of social media and being able to share things more readily. Um, one of the things that we provide as midwives is, well, woman care and support in hormone balancing and um, lab testing and things like that. And I will say I have seen so many women become more aware of what's going on in their bodies and recognizing that the PMS symptoms or the side effect from their low thyroid or whatever are not normal, despite the fact that they've been told like, oh, cramps are a part of this. Painful periods are just, you're just a woman. Sorry. Um, they're kind of stepping up and realizing, actually... <laughs> I have seen other people float the idea that this is not normal just because it's common um, <laughs> and taking some control of their, um, of their health in all of those different spaces. And so that's been encouraging to me, even, I mean, that, that, that uh, ripples into the birth world too, but just in our female health lifetime to be able to ask more questions and recognize, to be able to point to things to say, actually, that's not the way my body is supposed to function, um, is really empowering and cool to witness. Yeah, I think my, I think what's giving me hope most recently, again, is in the social media space. So next time I say, like, let's just throw it all away, remind we'll me that moment. I had hope. Yes. Um, is storytelling, <laughs> women sharing their stories. I have seen so much of that happening in Instagram the past few months where I can just see the connections being made between women and gaining community in that funny little weird space where they're like making friends online um, and seeing women connect over their stories and over things that have happened to them and wanting better for other women and sharing information and saying me too and like, oh yeah, did you know? And 
oh gosh, that must have been like really hard for you. I'm sorry. And just having those conversations and building community in a space where there's also a lot of information sharing. Um, we've never had that, the benefit of that in our history before where there's, there's a space for everybody right. to find um, community around women's health. And that's, that's pretty exciting. Well, that sounds pretty hopeful to me. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks again. It was so like wonderful to meet you guys and looking forward to seeing what you produce next on your Instagram. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. This was really sweet for us too. Loved it. Yeah, thanks guys. That's a wrap. Gosh, I could talk about birth all day. On our next episode, we're interviewing Matthew Loftus, a writer and family doctor living in Kenya with his family. He will be discussing ways that porn affects the brain and relationships while giving some practical advice of how to help friends and family who may be fighting this very difficult addiction. See you next time.